You're listening to CRST, the podcast from Bryn Mawr Communications. Hello, everybody. This is Rob Weinstock, and welcome to CRST, the podcast. I'm here with my co-chief medical editor of CRST, Bill Wiley. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. And while I'm also here with three younger surgeons, uh, two of them, uh, one in training with Dr. Wiley right now in a fellowship training position, Arjan Herhira, and a former fellow, Amir Marafi, and my current fellow, Caroline Watson. And uh, we'd like to kick off this new series of CRST, the podcast. Uh, The topic today is around training in ophthalmology and some changes in paradigm and dogma that has been around for a while. And we're here with three young surgeons, uh, as well as an experienced surgeon, uh, who have uh, taken an initiative to try something a little bit new after training uh, in traditional residency and pursue further training, a fellowship in cataract and refractive surgery. Now, cataract and refractive surgery and complex anterior segment surgery is not traditionally a known fellowship. We have cornea fellowships, we have retina fellowships, oculoplastics, um, very well-established fellowships that people go out and do after uh, training. But historically, at least in my experience in ophthalmology, it kind of was like cataract surgery was the default and you could go right out of residency and become a great cataract surgeon and that was the expectation. But the field has changed tremendously, and a lot of surgeons, they go on to do cornea fellowships at academic centers. But the word is there's not a lot of cataract surgery or refractive surgery that's done in those traditional cornea fellowships at academic centers. And hence, here we are in 2022, and we have a growing number of private sector fellowships specifically focused around cataract refractive surgery. Uh, We've been doing it for about six or seven years in our practice. Bills, how long have you been doing it in yeah, your practice? Basically the same, around six, around six or seven years. And there's quite a few of our colleagues that are also doing it. It's a real win-win for both the, the fellows and the experienced surgeons. And uh, I've certainly enjoyed it. And I know Bill has too. But I'd like to hear from the young surgeons a little bit about what you feel the changing landscape is going on. What, what made you guys pursue to go out and get extra training versus going right into private practice? Um, Arjun, you want to start? Sure. Well... I was in a position when I interviewed and applied for fellowships where I applied for the cornea, traditional academic cornea fellowships, I applied for private practice refractive fellowships, and I also applied for some of the answer segment fellowships as well. So I got a pretty decent lay of the land in terms of how much cornea, how much cataract, and how much refractive exposure each type of fellowship was affording. And what I was realizing was in the traditional academic cornea fellowships, understandably the main focus was on doing penetrating keratoplasties, EKs treating really sick disease, eyes with corneal pathology. But the cataract volume on average was usually only 20 to 40 cataracts. A lot of times those were not straightforward cases, those would go to the residents, and a lot of times those were not consistently spaced out through the year as well. The refractive training, maybe you would do 10 to 20 cases, but a lot of times that was just sort of watching the attending, maybe pushing a button here or there, but you really weren't truly the primary surgeon or really taking ownership of the patients in that regard from a refractive standpoint. And then in stark contrast, when I looked at the private practice fellowships, here you were doing oftentimes over a thousand cataract surgeries in a year, utilizing the latest premium technology, delivering really amazing refractive outcomes, using the latest IOLs, being involved in clinical research studies. And that was mirrored on the laser vision correction side of things as well, where you were utilizing the latest for SMILE, LASIK, and PRK. 
So in terms of the value or what you would get out of each fellowship, they could not be more different. Now, if you wanted to do corneal surgery, perhaps the private practice cataract and refractive fellowships would not be the most ideal, although there's some like yours where you get to work with phenomenal corneal surgeons like Neil Desai, get a lot of great cornea uh, and external disease exposure training as well. But sort of the pure cataract refractive fellowships, that's not traditionally been a focus. So if you want to do that, maybe a more traditional academic fellowship would have been the answer. But for what I wanted to do, I wanted to deliver exquisite premium cataract and refractive outcomes for patients to deliver the highest possible quality of care. I wanted to become the best version of myself as a surgeon that I could be. And I just felt like the private practice cataract and refractive fellowships were, were the best route for me. Great. Caroline, um, what, what were your thoughts about going into training versus taking an extra year of training? What were your motivating factors? Uh, what advice would you give to young surgeons about pursuing their goals and training? Sure, I can mirror a lot of what Arjun said as well. Um, I actually found out about these private practice fellowships a little bit early on in my training, which is a little unusual. Um, I had a friend do one several years you know, before me, and um, it kind of shifted my interest as far as what I wanted to do when I was finished. So um, I only applied to private practice fellowships, and it, it went uh, from being something that I wanted to do to something that I felt I needed to do because I was in residency in the midst of COVID. And our surgical numbers, although they are good um, for my program, were diminished during that time. And I didn't feel like I could safely go out into practice, be a really strong surgeon, and get myself out of trouble if I, if I had to. And so I felt like this was the best opportunity for me to really polish my skill set and really get exposure to private practice because I didn't want to go into academia and I knew that I would get excellent training under, you know, the, the attendings or the mentors that had these fellowships. Yeah. And Amir, you, you did your fellowship with Bill a couple years ago, right? Yeah. What, looking back on that, um, what do you think about the process? How much did it help you get going in practice? Uh, what kind of values it had versus if you had just gone directly into private practice? Yeah, great question, Rob. I mean, just hearing Carolyn and uh, Arjun talk about their experience, it's so amazing to know, like, the power of numbers. It really makes you super confident. And Dr. Wiley told me once when I was a fellow, it's easy to be a good surgeon, but in order to be a great surgeon, it's how you deal with those moments where you have trouble. That's where it really defines you, and that comes with tons of experience. And when you do these high-volume cataract and uh, refractive fellowships, you get like five to 10 years worth of experience in one year. And so I remember when I was applying to jobs, you know, people were telling me how I'm overqualified at that <laughs> level. And that's a nice thing to hear. But at the same time, the most important thing now that I've been in practice for three years is obviously the surgical experience is very important. It makes you feel confident at doing what we're supposed to do. But you really want to line up behind somebody who you respect and share their ideals, not only in the clinical aspect, but in the business aspect, in the family aspect, in the living life, in the balance. That's really the most important thing of the mentorship. You find somebody who, you know, lets you 
have a vision of what you want to create for yourself. And that really helps set a trajectory for yourself on what you deserve and what you should, should expect from yourself. And then building that relationship and fostering it and then growing from it. Like seeing Arjan, like, you know, it's amazing to see like how much more advanced he is as a fellow than I was. I think I'm ready for my second run at the fellowship, Dr. Wiley, <laughs> if you're accepting, you know, yeah, 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 you know it's yeah. amazing. So it's, it's great to see that. And it inspires me to want to keep going and just, you know, keep pushing forward the idea. And Dr. Weinstock, you opened up your doors at the BNL conference when I was a resident. That was the first glimpse that I saw at these like non-traditional cataract and refractive fellowships. I'm like, wow, that experience looks amazing. And luckily I was uh, just hanging out with Dr. Wiley in Cleveland and he offered me the opportunity to start the fellowship. So it's uh, the rest is history. Great perspectives from all of you. Bill, from your perspective, what do you see in the future of cataract refractive? How important is it for us as, as leaders or future leaders in ophthalmology to urge younger surgeons to pursue something like this? How <clears throat> as important is it to patient care sure. long term? Yeah, no, I think it's really important. I think, um, yeah, there's a few things going on. Number one, I think to become, you know, that next level, you know, cataract surgeon, it, it does take volume. It takes you know, uh, experience. It takes, you know, you know a, a good teacher to walk somebody through. And I see, you know, residents coming out today are, are armed with a lot of skill sets, but not necessarily the skill set to do high quality, high volume cataract surgery. And, and if you look at the volume of cases that are coming, you know, based on the baby boomers, you know, we're going to be doubling or tripling the current volume that we're doing today. And what that means is every surgeon that's operating today needs to be able to do better surgery and more surgery and have the ability to do that. And I just feel like coming out of traditional training, that's just not going to happen. Uh, it's not designed to happen. And so um, just like there's retina fellowships or pediatrics or neuro, uh, neurology, all, all those other fellowships are, are serving a purpose. And I think now this uh, cataract refractive is, is truly serving a purpose. Other things that I think about are, you know, refractive surgery and say, put cataract surgery aside, but let's look at refractive surgery in general. I've been out 20 years and the amount of innovation that's happened in the past 20 years is, is staggering. And I've learned you know, every one to two years, a new technology launches and we learn it and add it in. But if you're coming out of residency and you want to be a refractive surgeon, you're expected to know seven or eight different types of refractive surgeries and be good at them. And, and it's just, it's nearly impossible to be able to do that out of residency. It's took us 20 years to get to this level. And so to have an intensive learning experience, I think is critical if you want to be able to, you know, provide that type of care. Yeah. I think it's an evolution. I mean, yeah. at some point in time, there weren't retina fellowships yes. or pediatric fellowships. And at some point, the body of knowledge and the breadth of surgeries and techniques that became available and invented became so broad that uh, a body of surgeons got together and said, Hey, we need to formalize this and yeah. take it to the next level and kind of validate extra training. Yes. All fields of medicine have extra years and it's all fields of medicine are evolving. Yes. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen a huge change in cataract refractive surgery and all the different technologies. It was very simple 20 years ago. I mean, surgery is always complicated, but it was pretty basic in how we talk to patients, the technologies we had. It certainly wasn't refractive or, or it, you know, spectacle independent oriented. And uh, it has been a huge dramatic change. Um, what do you guys, um, what would you say to a resident who um, is thinking about, uh, for example, going into private practice? I think a big uh, kind of 
factor that we don't spend enough time on is our whole careers were in an academic setting in, in med school and residency. And then 99% of ophthalmologists jump right from uh, this academic mentality into the private sector without any bridge. A few go into academics, of course, but the vast majority, no matter what specialty, go into private. Um, this is also another factor. You touched on a little bit, Amir, about the business side of things, how things function in a private practice, and having this kind of bridge here between academics and the private world, but yet you have support and you have a learning environment and a training experience in that aspect. Have you guys noticed that that's been a, a big education for you, Arjun, in the last year? Yeah, that's a really great point you bring up because when you're in the academic setting, there are certain things that are not necessarily prioritized that are done at a premier private practice, cataract and refractive center. You're not trying to emulate two and a half, three hour wait times. You're trying to deliver a premium experience. That patient walks through the door, they merit, they're made felt welcome, they feel like they're home. Every single person from the front desk to the technicians who do the workup to maybe the optometrist who's co-managing in the clinic or the surgeon when they see them, every part of that patient experience is exquisite from the time they walk through the door to the time they're being seen for post-op. And that's just not a level of art of medicine that you're taught in the traditional academic setting. And so there's a lot of value to seeing how is a great private practice run? How does the staff interact with the patients? What are some of the processes that are put in place? And why did those processes even come to be? What were some of the, the pitfalls or challenges that existed in the past that gave birth to these sort of workflows that really help make a really, really well-run clinic, be efficient, be busy, and deliver amazing patient outcomes. I share all those uh, similarities as well with, with our practice. But for me, I think the best part of this year and, and something that I really have um, enjoyed doing is learning about the back part of the office, really getting into the billing, you know, people who work in the in the billing and coding office, allowing me to, to come in there and spend time with them before our clinic starts, teaching me one-on-one. You know, every Friday morning I'm going and learning how to, to polish those things because we aren't taught those things in residency or in a traditional fellowship. And it's, it's a huge gap in our knowledge as well. Um, watching how a surgery center is run, watching the workflow up there, understanding um, the dynamics between those um, you know, the patients coming for surgery and, and our staff. And then as well, you know, understanding in my particular situation how a private equity uh, business works and, and watching that development over time and, and, you know, being able to ask questions and have them answered and, you know, people around you not thinking that you're not worth their time to, to dig deeper into those things. Yeah, excellent point, uh, Carolyn. I definitely agree with the whole billing and all the other facets that go into a clinic. Dr. Wally told me, and again, I'm going to keep touching on points that Dr. Wally taught me to emphasize how important a fellowship is. But Dr. Wally told me, I'm a great surgeon. I'm not good at social media. I'm not good at some of these other things. I put other people in place to handle those things so that we have a well-running ship because I'm going to focus on what I'm good at and I'm going to let somebody else who's good at other things handle it. And that taught me a lot. So many times I feel like in private practice, one doctor tries to wear many hats and then they may be lacking in certain areas of patient care and it's noticeable. And one another thing I learned is that 
perception is reality. And a patient's perception of how they're being treated and how they feel can totally change the whole, their whole experience. You know, if you give them like Arjan touched, that from the second they walk in to the second they walk out, that feeling that they just had an amazing like surgery, everybody touched them, everybody like, you know, welcomed them, made them feel good then that whole, that carries home with them. That, that's a conversation they have with their friends and their families. And that adds to the value of the practice. And then it brings joy back to yourself because you're creating happiness beyond yourself. And there's so many layers to it that you don't see just going into practice or in an academic fellowship. Right. These are things you see in a high volume uh, refractive and cataract practice. And you know, from our side, um, there's a tremendous benefit as well. And, and I would hope that other uh, cataract or refractive surgeons, and there's tons of them out there, friends of ours, who are in a perfect position to start a fellowship like we have. Yeah. And it's not hard. And it's a huge win for the practice, right, Bill? I mean, we have a, a very qualified, high-level surgeon now that is basically like a right hand. Yes. Uh, and there's no other person in the practice that fills that niche because technicians don't have the same level of expertise. They can't do surgery and procedures, even the best of technicians. Yeah. Other surgeons, they're busy with their own clinics and schedules. Optometrists, they have a limited skill set. But for post-ops, for um, helping divide and conquer on a surgical day and do different things and do YAGs and, and help out with call and um, get clinics started or stay late to see a post-op. So if a, maybe if Bill or I are having trouble with a particular patient who's a challenging patient and needing extra time, there's another surgeon there. It's a very team, team atmosphere and it tremendously adds to the efficiency and the throughput of our practice. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, initially I thought, I wasn't sure how it was gonna impact patient care. You know, is it gonna be lateral, a step backwards? I found that it's actually a step forward. I kind of describe it as, you know, if you're flying a plane, you're going to have a pilot and a co-pilot. And it takes two people to look at, you know, if you're looking at all the instruments, double checking, you know, you know, all, you know, all the characteristics of what you need to do to fly that plane. It takes two people to really do it right. Same thing when you're doing refractive cataract surgery. You want to make sure the refraction's done right. Has it been inputted correctly? Have you looked at all the factors? Did you miss anything? And two highly skilled individuals looking at that information can provide better care than just one. Um, and so, you know, it definitely stepped up the quality of care. So initially, obviously our staff is very invested to, to delivering great patient care. That's why they, you know, work with all of us. And initially they're thinking, well, wait, wait a minute, there's a new person and part of the mix. What are they, are they going to interfere with the patient care that we're delivering? And so there was a, some resistance originally, but now they see that this is part of the whole care team and it's a critical part. So I feel like we've taken a step forward there. The other thing I know is I've become a better surgeon because of uh, you know uh, the fellowship. I, I look at things differently to teach something. You've got to understand every nuance of it. And I used to take things for granted or used to maybe not really understand certain steps. And now to be able to teach a skill or a concept, you've, uh, you've become better and constantly being challenged and asked questions. Well, why are we doing it this way? Why are you doing it that way? <laughs> and, and so, you know, to, when, when you're challenged that way, it just raises your game. So I know I've become a better surgeon and been better for it for sure. Yeah, I agree. We, I find myself paying yeah. a lot more attention to the details of the case every yeah. step because I'm so fixated on training the fellows to master every yes. single movement of the hands 
that it's made me more efficient and rethink the things I do and right. make it even more polished. And, and we never stop getting better in our careers. And, and you all probably have seen us try new things just in your short time with us and get better yeah. at doing things. And it's very, you know, it can get kind of stagnant in private practice when you're doing the same thing day in. But this is a way to really um, challenge yourself a little bit and, yeah. and, and take it up a level. And it's dynamic. And, and most importantly, though, regardless of, of from a selfish perspective for you or me of the fellow helping us or from the fellow's perspective, you're selfish desires because we're all selfish to some degree of wanting what we want and get our skill set and be successful. Just think about the impact on patient care. Think about the number of torn capsules and complications that happen every day in this country to people that really are coming in for cosmetic surgery because they're in the hands of surgeons that didn't have a mentor. So they're having to learn everything the hard way themselves, right out of residency, only doing 100, 120 cataracts and then rolling right into the real world and having trouble. That personally gives me anxiety and scares me. I would like to see our entire industry promote the maximum amount of education and mentorship for all surgeons, no matter what their specialty, to make it safe for the patients in our communities. And I think there's a real obligation and there's an obligation I would hope that, that you all, at some point in your career, would be have the infrastructure to do the same thing. Because like you said, Amir, before, there's only so much you can do with your own two hands. There's only so many patients a day you can see, so many cases you can do in your lifetime. But you train other surgeons to do it. It's an extension of yourselves. And now so many more patients are in safe hands. And, and that's a big picture look at, at the importance of just training in general. Any, uh, any other comments from you all about um, that you would maybe share with other residents? Um, about making decisions about doing academic training versus private sector, how to decide what specialty to even go yeah. into. Because a lot of times I know when I was in training, I had some really good, um, some really good mentors. I had an amazing pediatric ophthalmologist. I almost wanted to go into pediatric ophthalmology. That would have been crazy. Um, but the, the mentor was so good, it was motivating. Our cornea surgery at the time in my training program was kind of lacking in transition, so I didn't get much exposure. So it's so funny how decisions are made. You know, you hear about college kids, they go whatever college they visit and the weather's the nicest that day, that's the college they want to yeah. go to. And it, that kind of philosophy goes on. So yeah. how, do we, how do we expose residents to the different things that are out there? Yeah, I mean, I have some thoughts on this. I think when a lot of our residents that come through are, are torn between, let's say, an academic path and a you know, private practice path. And what I tell them is picture yourself in five or ten years and what is the ideal situation that you're going to be doing? Do you want to be a chairman of the department? Okay, if that's the case... You're, you should not do a private practice fellowship. We're not going to help you achieve that goal. You know, uh, but if you said, you know what, I want to be in private practice, own my own practice, you know, uh, in this part of the world or wherever it might be, you know, you know, uh, doing high volume cataract refractive or whatever it is, you know, that, if that's the path you want to take, then you, you for sure should do a private practice fellowship because that's going to be the best stepping stone to achieve your goal. So I think it's really important to sort of envision what's your ideal life and in, in, in the future and then see what's going to be the best fit. Um, you may, if you've not been exposed to any private practice stocks, I think 
residents should definitely have a chance to, to rotate or mentor or reach out, you know, because if you're only exposed to one world, you may not really even understand what the other worlds look like uh, for good or for bad. You just should have that opportunity to see what else is out there. And then you can make a good decision on that next stepping stone. Well, industry has also been helpful too. Yeah. For example, Bausch and Lam started this residency course and um, as a, goal to expose residents to this kind of hidden world of, yeah. of refractive cataract surgery. And, and some of you guys rotated through Tampa when we gave the course down there, which we still give. You had some, some comments of the impactfulness of that. And, and it's just the opening that door sometimes is all it takes for someone to see that there's different perspectives on what, where you can wind up and, and what you want to achieve. Yeah, I totally agree. When I first came into residency, I was thinking oculoplastics. I, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I was interested in it. And then I knew like Dr. Wiley was in the area. I heard about him. And as a resident, we had to go and shadow him for one Saturday just to get our LASIK numbers. There was no refractive surgery in my residency. I didn't really know too much about it. But it was that one day that I walked into his office and I was like, oh, wow. Like, I was like a kid in a candy store. All the technology, the way the clinic was run. And then just Dr. Wiley just being so kind and generous with his time, answering all my million questions. And then he kind of gave me like an open door policy. Hey man, anytime you want to come back, feel free. And then what happened there was like, that totally changed my perspective. So I think as a resident, it's our duty to learn and put ourselves in situations to see what's best for us and see what we want. And I would argue that even though academics is all we know up until that point, I wrote more papers and did more more academic work with you in that one year because of that high volume, because you have so much data than I did as a resident. So, you know, maybe if you don't want to be a chairman, but you still like the academic aspect of things, there's still quite a bit of information that you guys gather. Yeah. And I learned so much about doing investor, uh, uh, instigated trial, initiated trials, everything like that is all from learning from this. So you do a ton of research in private practice as well. So it can really kind of create a good hybrid for some people who are on the fence. And I don't think anybody in academia would be turned off on having a very high volume, uh, skilled surgeon coming back and then teaching residents and also continuing to do research. So I think there's a, there's a hybrid path and uh, there's really a lot of pros to it. When you have that volume and that data, you can do anything you want. I really like what Amir said. I think. Ophthalmology is such a unique field in that a lot of our innovation and research that has taken place has been in the private sector. And most people think of research happening at the academic institutions, but if you're training or doing your fellowship or you work as an associate at a high volume practice, there's just, like Amir said, a lot of data there. And so not only do you have the ability to be involved, like I am right now in 10 plus clinical trials, ranging from the latest IOLs from overseas to the latest technology, the latest lasers. But industry also likes collaborating and working with centers that are able to provide data as well. And so if you're interested in engaging with industry, if you're interested in serving on ad boards, on panels, on doing speaking, if you're interested in R&D, there's a lot of opportunity to do that in these private practice fellowships. And the final thing I wanted to touch on is if you have the spirit of innovation, if you're really drawn to being on the cutting edge, it's a lot easier to have access to the latest technology, the latest femtosecond laser, the latest XMR laser, the latest 3D heads-up visualization system in the private practice setting. Decisions get made a lot quicker. If, if the surgeon wants a new technology, everyone else, on all the stakeholders are on board, boom, it happens. The next week you have it in your clinic. 
at the academic setting, things move at a lot slower pace. So there's a lot of collaboration with industry, work on clinical trials, and just use of the latest technology that I think is really, really uh, beneficial to experience in these fellowships. And all of that together just cultivates a mindset of always pushing for better results, pushing for better patient outcomes. And I think that mindset is maybe the most important thing because like Rob and Bill mentioned, technology changes so fast in our field, which is one thing I love about it. But if the technology is changing two, three, every five years, what's going to happen if you don't have that mindset of embracing growth and change and 10 years out of residency, you don't understand how to use the latest technology and you're doing things the same way you always did them. You know, one of the things that I find, not just from the surgery side and the business side, that is probably one of the most profound educational processes in the fellowship year is how to communicate with patients, or maybe I should say how not to communicate. Because when I came out of training, I was thought you had to explain everything and every detail to the patient and have 20 minute to 30 minute conversations with them. And what a huge change it was with my mentor, my father, to learn from him how to be in and out of the room in three to five minutes. But deliver such a good feeling to the patient of security and comfort and positivity and trust in such a short amount of time. Has that, Caroline, has that been a, a big difference or a big training process for you, learning how to untrain yourself from training and how to communicate with patients? It's a very hard thing to do. I, I was just having this conversation with someone not even an hour or two ago, and I totally agree. I was explaining that coming out of residency or being in residency, you're, in my experience, my attendings really didn't um, help us hone that skill. And it is a skill to learn how to ask the right questions, how to sit, your posture, what you say to patients. Just from the second you walk in the room, it's all very orchestrated and very particular. And we don't learn that. And it is such an important component of being in a private practice setting and delivering really great patient care. And that is something I've, I've definitely learned how to do this year. Yeah. And continue and, and to improve on. Our staff actually helps a lot of that training too, because they'll come to me and they'll say, you need to work with the fellow about how to talk to the patient or how not to explain too much or give too many options and confuse the patient. And that's a very classic thing that happens to young surgeons is they confuse patients. You know, when you go to see a doctor, none of us would want to be given a list of 20 options and our heads spinning. What you want is to trust the doctor's opinion and, and to feel comfortable and confident in your surgeon that they are going to do their very best for you. And that's a big part of the training. So, I mean, we could talk for hours on this stuff and we enjoy it. And, and quite honestly, it's very rewarding to, to build relationships and, and lifelong friendships with our fellows and colleagues. And then the fact that um, Bill and, and I and, and John Berdahl and Mitch Jackson and Ralph Chu and other, other pioneering surgeons like that who have started similar fellowships, we put our fellows in touch. And then that group of fellows become colleagues and compadres and have the resource of each other to bounce things off of or false you know, form smaller organizations or meet at meetings and have dinners. And, and that network and support is what you really learn a lot from in your career. It's not what you learn at AEO or ASCRA sitting in the lecture hall. It's what you're sharing in the back hallways 
or over the phone or via text and developing those relationships and a pocket of people that you can trust that have been through similar training and similar mentality. Um, that's a very, very important gift that, that um, you need to treasure in those relationships. Yeah. Any final comments? Yeah, Bill? no, I, I think Rob, you said it great. I think it's uh, without a doubt, it's a rewarding experience for everybody involved, you know, for, uh, for the, um, the mentor, uh, the fellow, the patients, the staff. Um, I think it's a win for everybody involved. So I definitely encourage anybody that's thinking about it to, to, to explore it. And we'd be happy to kind of walk you through it. Well, thanks. Well, Bill, yeah. Arjun, all of you fellows. <laughs> okay. Amir, Caroline, thank you all for being here today and, uh, having this uh, episode of CRST podcast. For more shows like the one you just listened to, check out the podcast channel on iTube.net.